0: Welcome to Changing the Rules, a weekly podcast about people who are living their best life and how you can figure out how to do it, too. Join us with your lively host, Ray Lowe, better known as the luckiest guy in the world. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Changing the Rules, a podcast designed to showcase some of the luckiest people in the world. You know, uh, one of the things that we try and do in this podcast is to showcase people that we think always seem to be lucky. Their lives are always together for some reason, and that doesn't happen by accident. Uh, The luckiest people in the world are those people who actually take the time to design their own lives and then they make sure that they live them under their own terms. And rules come into play here a lot. Uh, you know, all through our lives, uh, we're saddling with rules. So they start with your parents, and then they go to the schools, and then they go to your job, and then they go to the church, and uh, then they go to who knows else. Uh, but but what happens is, over time, rules become obsolete. And there are two things about rules. They are meant to either be obeyed, or they're meant to be run away from. And the luckiest people in the world seem to take these rules and they use them uh, to their benefit, and it helps them live the lives that they want to be. So uh, today we have a guest host. His name is Bill Hughes. Uh, Bill was here the last couple of weeks with us, and he's here again. Okay. Uh, Say hi, Bill. Hi, Bill. Okay, and uh, Bill's going to introduce our guest today, who happens to be a good friend, Todd Ryan, and uh, Bill introduce Todd, and then uh, we'll show why Todd is one of the luckiest people in the world and talk about some of the reasons why he should be a role model for the rest of us.
1: Well, he certainly is lucky, but I can tell you he's got more credentials than most people have initials, so... Uh, Todd uh, attended Davidson College and Georgia Institute of Technology, earning degrees in finance and management. He holds uh, professional designations as a certified financial planner, a registered financial consultant, and a chartered uh, life underwriter, chartered financial consultant, and registered investment advisor with the uh, Heritage Institute, which is a little something we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, he currently enjoys working with several families and multiple advisors who understand the importance of collaboration in a client-first focus. Each, even though he uh, maintains a financial planning practice, he understands that true that true wealth means much more than having strong having a strong financial statement. This is why he's built a practice centered on helping others identify and achieve what truly matters most in their lives. Additionally. Todd is a staff member, instructor at the Heritage Institute, and uh, the country's foremost authority on developing multi-generational leadership transfer. Todd currently lives in Hilton Head, South Carolina, with his wife Amy and sons Andrew and Matthew. He is committed to building strong community, a strong community, uh, supporting the Cub Scouts, community board, school improvement council, Low County Alliance for Healthy Youth, and Hilton Head Baseball Association. Having coached youth uh, sports for more than 30 years, he's enjoyed coaching the children of his former players. I got to tell you, he is one busy dude. Do you you recognize yourself, Todd, with all of that?
2: Uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah. Sounds better than I am.
0: Well, you know, lucky people are busy people and they get things done and they're involved in a whole lot of things. And, and and by the way, I've always found since I've been doing this, that the luckiest people in the world are also the most interesting people in the world. So welcome to Changing the Rules. And uh, I, I guess um, let's start with uh, who you are. And um, you had a financial planning practice for how long? Yeah,
2: I started on the insurance side of things. So the financial planning practice evolved, developed out of that, I would say, you know, as a focus, Mm -hmm. approximately 20, 21 years, really wasn't until I, actually relocated to Hilton Head from Atlanta that I had more time focused on more of the planning aspect uh, versus the uh, advisor uh, solution aspect, if you will, of the planning.
0: Okay, and and uh, part of that is uh, running a family business, too, isn't it? Uh,
2: over the last actually, I took over the family flooring uh, uh, store three years ago. Uh, a matter of choice in some respects, a matter of need in others. Um, I'm able to read and understand a financial statement, and that's an <laughs> important aspect in running a business. Uh, but it was one that... Yeah, let's put it this way. If I hadn't, I don't think our Thanksgivings would have been as enjoyable as the group getting together.
0: Okay, Now there's a poignant statement. so yeah. uh, <laughs> so so let's get into a couple of things. I know we did a pre-interview with you, and uh, we talked about one of the things that you really have to be anymore is a generalist. Because there are so many details you can't keep up with all the details and all the disciplines that you do. So when you get together, whether you're running the family business, whether you're running your family practice, whether you're running your own family, okay, what are some of the key things that you think are important that you do that uh, make you successful?
2: I'd say one of the one of the important elements is really just understanding. What role you can serve, uh, and that you know gets back to understanding what's the outcome you want. Um, yeah, needs to say there, there's the old adage you can't do it all, and the successful individual is the one that figures out what they can delegate to other people to be done as well, or hopefully um, even better than they can do on their own. know, uh, yeah, being independent for so long, uh, being in a situation where I haven't had to answer to the uh, superiors or others on how to do things, but try to learn from those other experts and try to you know, improve. Um, and heritage is a big part of that learning curve me. understanding my own specialty skills, understanding that I'm a spatial analytic, which essentially means that I enjoy, uh, get excitement, um, love the fact that I'm able to solve problems maybe not always say traditional format but use different tools and, and much like a puzzle solver figure out how to put the puzzle together not always the exact way but that goes with the planning aspects of working with different families but. Um, the reality is, uh, knowing that there's only so much time in a week, what do we have 186 hours per week that we actually have a, you know, capable of working with. So it's a matter of, you know, finding, uh, what you can focus on and what's the more important thing to focus on. So, you know, during a lot of my training, there was very little television watching going on that's, you know, that was an aspect of, you know, continuing learning and focusing on the reading and the different things that we had to do for our, you know, specialty, but for the most part, you know, leaning on people like Bill and other experts to help, you know, see it from a different perspective, to guide you, to listen to what you're saying, and you know, dig down into okay, here's what may really be happening that you're not seeing.
0: You know, Bill, while I get into this discussion here because you met Todd through this Heritage Institute thing, I think. Uh, you may have well, known yeah, before.
1: actually, 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 that, that's that <clears throat> is how I met him. And so we've known each other going back to about 2006, 2004? About 2006. 2006. Yeah. So, so, so. That's a long time. But I, I think the thing that that I noticed was that, that you, you as, as talented as you are, you don't rely on your own resources. I mean, you leverage quite a bit. I mean, you're probably one of the best coached individuals I know. But then again, that's kind of what you do. I mean, not only do you financially coach, you also coach individuals too, and and you broaden that perspective out quite a bit, um, particularly with our our studies in the, uh, the at the institute where we were learning how to transfer multi generational value from one generation to the next. Um, it, it 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 like most things, this is really a team sport. I mean, it's not something you can do by yourself.
2: Yeah, if I relate it to sports in general. You know, one of the things that happened about the same time, uh, I was asked to coach the all-star team. So if anybody that's coached all-stars you know, in the sports, and you're talking in, anywhere from the 10, 12, 13-year-old kids, you know, they're usually the mom and dad's pride example of, you know, this, this is, in their vision, this is the future Hall of Fame baseball player going to be playing MLB in future years. But, yeah, okay. you know. Coaching a team, and granted, I didn't have such a great team, uh, and I think everybody else bailed, but I found it to be an honor to be asked to coach the all-star team, and we had high expectations in our area. We've had you know national championship teams in our area for a small little island. We've had a lot of you know, great influence, um, so it was a very, you know what I found to be an encouraging situation, but one of the things I learned from Doug Carter, who Bill knows as well, is just setting the stage, if you will, of expectations. Uh, which is something that we try to do with families and, you know, in different roles, but it also applies to the professionals. And this is how I'm trying to relate the two. Um, everybody on that all-star team, you know, you have nine players going out, but you're filled now with the all-stars from every team, which means you have eight pitchers, seven shortstops, stops. Um, four of them are catchers or first baseman. Well, nobody played outfield. Yeah, no, very few played second base or third base. They were always the studs of the team, if you will. They were always in those key positions. So when you're filling now nine spots, you know the kid that was one of the best players on his team now on the All-Star team is playing right field. That's a hard pill to swallow. Not necessarily for the kid, but for the parent. So the best thing I learned from you know the work that I did with Heritage and Bill and Doug essentially is how to go back and reframe that expectation and get the parents to say what they had a right to expect. And that was a game changer because that eliminated so many headaches because if you're familiar with youth sports, having that mom or dad, and it could be either one. So I'm not going to you know, try to be sexist on it, but having them sit on that fence and berate the umpire And to deal with that while you got a game going on and high stakes, you know, two losses, you're out of the tournament type situation, 12 innings pitching for a tournament, you you really have to deal with a lot of stress. And these are 12 year olds. And I had a parent do it the best way. And, you know, one parent berating her child, she came back and said, Look, she, you know, tapped her on the shoulder, she's like, "Uh, Sarah, he's 10 years old. Yeah. this isn't life, okay? <laughs> so, But that applies to professionals. I mean, the reality is when we're dealing with some families that have done well and they're professionals, we have the same situation. They're top of their field. And we have repet- repetition of services and overlap discussions. We, you know, We have to remember, it's like, okay, we're dealing with all-stars now, and that all-star may have to take a different role than he's used to, and they may not be comfortable.
0: Like, okay, okay, so... So, so one of the things, everybody thinks successful people are successful because they make money. And I, and I guess to some extent, that's part of it. Uh, but you're in this business now where you're coaching people on their finances. But I think what sets you apart from everybody else is what you just talked about in the baseball realm. And uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, what makes a family successful, because what you do, if I understand it correctly, is you spend a lot of time coaching successful families. And some of it has to do with the transfer of wealth, but most of it has to do with the transfer of values, so, and Bill, get in on this because because you do similar kinds of things, and you know Todd, and let's 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 get some controversy going
1: here. Well, I, I guess I guess the thing that, that makes Todd an expert in this area is the fact that uh, I, I, the, 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 the main thing to to taking somebody through that that exercise is that you're almost reparenting. And you, you, every kid grows up in a different family. So, consequentially, everybody's got a different impression of mom and dad, and very few of them know the story of how they got where they were. And in some cases, they see it completely different from one from one child to the next. So, part of the uh, part of the, the process is getting everybody on the same team, and like Todd says, helping to uh, not only tell the story and help them recapture that that value, but also how to apply it going forward as the parents aren't gonna be around forever. And probably the, the single most worrying thing for a parent is what happens when I'm gone. And that's why we get down the road of putting together incentive trusts and all this other craziness that that, that we do in, in, the, in the more uh, material forming or planning part of the legacy process. But the, the big, the important piece is to get everybody on the same page and how do you do that, Ty?
2: Yeah,
1: well, one is we have to, one, start with a framing of what is a successful family.
2: Um, and the reality is, yeah, they do view it their own way. And each of us as professional advisors may have our own definition, but the reality is when working with families, it's their definition that matters. Um, and then we have to look at it from a standpoint of, yeah, can we do it? And is it worth it? Yeah, it doesn't matter if we can do it if it's not worth it to the family. And if it is worth it to the family, we can figure out how to do it or find the other experts to make it a reality. And as you mentioned earlier, no, it isn't about the money. Money makes it easier for families to do things together, to help support and do a lot of great things together. But the reality is I'd rather work with a family that has very little assets, that has care and compassion, a desire to work together, to see success within the family, than one that's gonna be fighting at every turn to get something for themselves. Uh, Nobody really enjoys working with a financially focused individual, more so than an individual that makes the people around them feel good. Uh, I have the benefit of working with some families, the the type of people that you enjoy talking to. And that's always a good sign for an advisor. If you don't like to take the call from a client, if you really wanna avoid that, maybe it's not the person you really want to be working with and conversely if they don't like taking your call maybe you're not really bringing the value you should
1: so you know it, it, it definitely dig, it definitely digs in deeper than just you know building a big pile of money it's it's how, it's how to put it to use and there are many different uh, I, I should say each each family has their own definition of what success means some mean it's just knowing your kids are going to be okay and some it's what impact am I having on the community how does how does what we do how does how does what we do impact that where do we where do we start
2: well, the reality is um and we can start in different spots. I mean, if it's important to mom and dad, if we want to refer to it as generation one, if we will, that oldest generation in the family, if they're looking at it like, you know, I really am worried about my grandchildren or great grandchildren, it can start with them taking the time to really figure out what the values are, what how they learned it, the life lessons. Um, Bill and I and several other people within the heritage community, and multiple people, I should say have been trained on learning what we call guided discovery, which really is guiding people to self-discover what matters to them through life experiences. So it's a discussion. It's a dialogue. It's getting a little bit deeper about the stories. It may be as simple as, you know, what was life growing up like around the family table? What was it like at family dinner? What did you guys do? How did it go? It may be a situation of, you know, thinking back to the people in your life that stand out. Kind of like if we look back over time as a radar scope with blips that pop out, you know, thinking about who those blips were in your early years, your formation years, your teens, or early 20s. Um, and most likely, and obviously we're, we're not psychologists, but most likely those people that stand out, stand out for a reason. It could be their work ethic. It could be the way they treated people. But the reality is they stand out because that's a value you typically hold true or find important. So if you can relate those two, and you know, we always want to—I no, shouldn't say we all, but many people want to make sure that their future generations learn from their experiences,
1: that are having a better life, that have you know things done better than they did. Now, so, could, so we so we take them through that. We take them through that exercise. They, we 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 memorialize it in in a statement, and we get them all together and have them tell their story and. And and then what? And then what? How do we how do we get them engaged?
2: Well, in most situations, and you know, sometimes we start with the story. Sometimes we start with a family, you know, family event, family meeting, which we you know do intentional exercises. And, and I really enjoy some of these exercises. And I mean, Stratton, uh, to pick on you know Dennis Stratton's test, I, I find to be enjoyable because it's an eye opener for people to discover what type of person they're hardwired. You know, we we each have different software, but a lot of us have a way of dealing with something, just based on the way our brain is structured. And we're all a little bit different, uh, but there are some commonalities there. I'm an analyzer. I have a tendency to try to uh, understand the problem inside and out before making decisions. And the polar opposite may be a persuader, somebody that takes it very personal on their ideas, but comes up with them very quickly. And it might be your engineer versus your salesperson if you look at it from a job role. But within families, we have often differences. Uh, And you think of it as a team. If you have a team of different professionals or within a family, you really want to balance uh, different ways of thinking to make good decisions. So,
1: okay. one thing, one of, the things that come, one of the things that comes out as a, as a consequence of that is sometimes what's revealed to each family member is the importance of every other family member and the kind of value that they bring to the table. Maybe a child's great at art, maybe one is uh, tremendous at fixing cars. Uh, all of a sudden, these talents come to the, come to the, the forefront, and then we're starting to put together a family team, basically. We're, we're, we've got a team of specialists within the family. And that really constitutes something that, that a family can lean on.
0: Okay. So this is something that anybody could do. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to have a lot of money. And, and I think everybody today is concerned with uh, this concept of the dyslexic family or the this d- dysfunctional, dysfunctional family, I guess is the better word. And, and uh uh, how do we get our families together? How do we develop this cohesiveness? And uh, we're we're getting near the end of our time already unfortunately. so so let's get a, a list of uh, a couple of things that families can do to uh, create a better family, whatever that is. so what what would they be?
2: Well, you know, one thing families can do, which we see happening more and more frequently is they may have a family event. And you could do it as a Thanksgiving event, but you know, they have a chance to share individually what they find of value, what's what's good about the family, what you know, what do they appreciate about the family, what do they appreciate about each individual within the family? You know, sharing the positives. Um, basically as a family, they also need to decide, well, as a family, if we were to achieve anything specifically, what, what does our family stand for? If they could take the time and Often is the case it does require a professional to help guide. So you don't go too far off a tangent as I often do. But to simply look at it and understand as a family, hey, what do what do we stand for? And even before that, it really is a matter of is it worth it to us? Is it worth it to us as a family to keep getting together on holidays? That you know, what do we want to see? Do we want to see our kids and their kids getting along, having family events? Obviously, as families grow, it's not as easy but you still can have intentional time. And even our own conversation here, a video conference, that's made it a lot easier for families to get together. and Don't necessarily have to do it when somebody's dying, as our family often did, is we're on video talking about what's going on. But intentionally getting together uh, with the purpose of one activity. And it may be, hey, what does our family stand for? What do we want to see our family represent? and then sharing you know, intentionally, okay, what is right about our family? What is our, you know, right about each individual? And getting those positives out. There's always going to be negatives. There's always going to be blips, but it's much like bad grass. One of the best ways of getting rid of the bad grass is growing more good grass. You know, so much like in families, one of the best ways of moving forward is focusing on
0: what you can do positively. Yeah, and you're talking about the grass in the backyard, not the other kind of grass,
2: yeah.
0: right? <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, okay. <laughs> Un- unfortunately, we're down to the last couple of minutes. So uh, let's, let's go to Bill Hughes. Do you have any final comments? And then we'll sum up with Todd over here.
1: Well, I, I guess the thing that I can't impress on anybody more is the fact that anybody really can do this. You can do this around a backyard barbecue and a the, the fire pit and just telling stories. And ultimately, those conversations, as they're done sequentially and continually and persistently, over time, interests are going to emerge. And those interests uh, are going to be part of what the family is about, and that's what's gonna be revealed. And maybe you take on a little project. It could be something as simply as simple as, as building a cabin in the woods, or it could be as, uh, it could be as extensive as, as doing something for a local nonprofit that you that you're all passionate about.
2: I can't agree more what what bill's saying in regards to telling stories yeah it's often a lost art nowadays in our world of you know thirty two characters or less yeah you know, s- stories are what people remember from and if we can share stories not as a lesson but as what happened, people can relate to it um, and that's one of the key things when sharing the stories is you know share everything the good and the bad about the story uh but not as you know tell a story it's like well I learned to work hard that's what you need to do work hard no you just let them get their own value out of that story um because we do remember stories more so than we do statements or life lessons
0: that we're told okay i would like to reconvene this at another time and start with this concept of stories Okay, because I really think you're on something here that's important. And I think that, that people try and communicate sometimes by dictating something to a family. And it usually starts with parents because somebody has to drive this conversation somewhere along the way. But, but I think the idea would be to explore a little bit about uh, how to uh, conduct some sort of a family event with the idea of uh starting a tradition or starting something that is going to bring families together into uh whatever we decide is the successful definition that we want to have yeah all right so so todd thank you so much for being with us uh todd ryan and and again todd do you have a website where people can reach you
2: i tried to make it as simple as possible it's toddryan.com.
0: So. Okay. And it's R-H-I-N-E, right? Yes. As in the river.
2: Yeah. As in the
0: English okay. spelling of the river. <laughs> okay. The English spelling. And and Bill Hughes, uh, Bill's going to be with us again next week with another guest. And uh, thanks the two of you very much. And I think we uh, started a way of implanting some ideas on how to make other families feel lucky and luckier and luckier. So thanks for being with us and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to Changing the Rules, a weekly podcast about people who are living their best life and how you can figure out how to do that too. Join us with your lively host, Ray Lowe, better known as the luckiest guy in the world.